2: Digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD Will the Thrill and TJ2.
4: Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, who is alive <laughs> LD. Back from the dead. Yay. And along with me for the ride, as always, is TJ2, The Deuce. Oh, that was good. That one was good. That was <laughs> Nice. What are,
5: drink- what are you drinking? What are you drinking? tonight. Just a uh, a lovely Shiner Bach in a can.
4: Excellent. Excellent. And concluding our story is the storyteller, Mr. Will the Thrill.
1: Greetings and salutations.
4: Oh, it's good to be back, boys.
5: It, it sounds like you just cocked a shotgun.
1: <laughs> no, this is oh, the, uh, the Hop Cloud IPA, which is appropriate that it's a San Diego beer, given our topic uh, this evening.
5: Yay. Yes. Look at hey, me. Um, wow. so for those who listened last time, um, LD introduced us and then died. And I think was yeah, resuscitating. <laughs> yeah,
1: like Nikki Six, you just were on yeah, there. I would just, yeah.
4: yeah, I, I could actually, when I was editing that episode, uh, I heard the death in me. So, uh, if for you guys who don't know, I'm okay. First of all, I'm not going to name drop the place that almost killed me but uh well you I,
5: actually I, did last week but you cut it out
4: yes <laughs> yes i did well also yes. I remember, remember i was on the verge of death the and, guys, guys when i say i was on the verge of death i actually mean it because yes. what happened was the place that we ate must have cross-contaminated my food with some sort of seafood because when i woke up i was going into anaphylactic shock and 70 to 75 percent of my entire body was covered in hives at
1: that point we went to the emergency room yes, ladies we and went gentlemen to the hospital
4: yeah. and they gave me a wonderful battery of all kinds of liquids that froze me from the inside out because they gave me these ivs and it was awful but uh, i am i am okay now and i now have an epi which i did not have before and so I'm a proud owner of a free EpiPen.
1: Yay! Yes, but uh, it was we were in the emergency room to what, 4.30 in the morning? Like, almost 5. Yeah, it
4: was Yeah, it was, it was bad. And I felt so bad, because, like, there was one doctor there, and all I wanted to do was lay down, and I couldn't figure out how to change
1: the bed. And I just <laughs> want to be clear that he was the only, the doctor, only doctor there. The only doctor there. He was the only one on duty, so I, I felt for this guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh...
4: Yeah, so uh, I'm back. I am okay now. Woo! Thank you guys online for all your your thoughts and your prayers and your messages. It made me super happy, so thank you guys. Uh, the other um, we need to talk, oh, what is that? Y-
5: yes, well, there's a couple of things. First of all, uh, I, we need to reflect upon something in the last episode. Um, Will the Thrill and I had a lengthy discussion of Scrapple. We did. And I did so without disclosing that I have actually eaten Scrapple. Yes. Okay, And I just feel like I need to be honest with our audience. The, 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 the <laughs> stuff that I made fun of for basically being peckers and lips, because that's essentially what it is. Uh, I have eaten it. And, it and it actually didn't taste terrible.
1: I'm sure they prepped it in a way that, masked the, the that it Yeah, peckers. it
5: was. So it was I went to a sort of fancy barbecue place, a little more high end joint. And we ordered like the charcuterie board or whatever. And they, you, what you but you have no control over what they're going to put on it. And it, it, what you're hoping they're going to put is their delicious um, in-house smoked bacon. It's like a chef's choice kind of thing. Yes, yeah. a total chef's choice. And we did get some of the bacon, but we also got scrapple, and it actually tasted good. The, but it was like a weird meat souffle. It's like if if meatloaf and cornbread, you know, did like a, <laughs> you know what I'm saying on your plate, and had a baby. That's kind of what it tasted like. It was like cornmeal in it, and the the texture was really weird, but it didn't taste terrible. So just full disclosure there on my part. It's almost got like a bread-like consistency from what I. Kind of yeah. It was almost it was it was loafish.
1: Yeah.
4: Huh. It's odd. Okay. Well, the other big thing that I want to talk about. Sorry to steer us back into uh bummer territory but I guess it's more setting up for this episode than talking about Scrapple which is we did have two deaths that we needed to talk about yeah so one of the first people that I wanted to talk about was actor James Michael Tyler and he actually played Gunther on Friends and I will say I had never really watched friends and I have worked in this industry pretty much my whole life and I've never really watched friends but I know his story and the interesting thing was is he actually legend has it was an extra Mm -hmm. on the show and the reason why they put him behind the counter was they had asked all the extras like hey who knows how to work a cappuccino machine and he raised his hand and that turned into okay well you're now working the cappuccino machine to you know, having a semi-regular background gig on the show to slowly becoming like someone they reference to becoming an all-out character and that's kind of the dream you know is to 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 be that good and uh, he passed away he was I believe 59 and he passed away of cancer
5: and and I have a fun fact fun fact he was a graduate of Clemson University
4: Really? There you go. Wow. He he
5: he actually matriculated first at mine and LD's mother's alma mater, Anderson, and then he uh transferred to Clemson. Yes, he is a he was a proud tiger. Excellent.
4: So he was a Trojan, then a tiger. Correct. Excellent. Well, uh he will be sorely missed. He, you know, from all accounts, he was a wonderful guy. And so the other one that we need to talk about, and I am going to avoid any kind of fluff was the tragic death of helena hutchins and i will say that the minute that i heard this breaking story if you guys don't know she is cinematographer dp that was working on a film called rust and the reason why i knew about this film was because um my sweet sweet jensen ackles (laughs) actually had a role in it and uh, everybody knows how much i jensen jensen ackles um but she was killed on site by the gun that was supposed to be in the scene and we're still getting information so i don't i don't want to speculate on anything but it, it, it sucks.
5: Yeah, it's, it's eerily reminiscent of Brandon Lee's death. Brandon Lee, I was going to say, um, it, it sounds very similar to what happened to him. Right, where
1: basically there was, I guess, improper preparation of a firearm on the set. It was discharged, and the bullet, I understand, struck Helena, and, and the director, too. So two people were struck, and unfortunately, Helena lost her life. And she is a mother, she has a son. And the tragedy is something like this could be so easily avoided so easily avoided there there were so many things
4: that went wrong to have this happen and honestly with everything that IATSE was fighting for in this last negotiation i think this kind of typifies why you need iotsi and why you need these trained professionals these people in this union so you know i i will flat out tell you guys i stand with iotsi i'm a member of sag Uh, I'm, you know, I'm I'm a member of SAG-AFTRA, and her death was completely avoidable. And I know that everyone involved is changed now. There are people that will never work again. There are people that, that will need extensive therapy. But the fact is, our hearts, our thoughts, and our prayers go out to Helena's family and her friends. Because the thing is, when you work on a film set, you become family you become a family when you work on a show that becomes your extension because you are working 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 hours with these people, five days, sometimes six days a week. You see these people more than your, your actual family. In some cases, there were two weeks where I didn't see Will because I was working on a film, but those people are now my family too. And so, you know, it's, this is a horrible tragedy and It's something that uh, I could get incredibly angry about, but I will just say, you know, both of those deaths, very tragic. uh, And, and we will be thinking about
5: there's, there was actually a third one. Oh, Oh, really? That, 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 that actually struck me when I saw it a couple of days ago, Peter Scolari. Peter Scolari passed away? Yeah.
4: Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes, he did. For
5: for those who don't remember, he was uh, on Bosom Buddies with Tom Hanks. I best remember him. Uh, From one of the funniest sitcoms ever to air on American television, Newhart.
4: Oh my God! Yeah, Newhart was great.
5: Funny. Newhart was so freaking funny.
4: Peter Skellern. I'm so sorry. Oh God, I suck.
5: Uh, How did he pass away? I, you know what? I, I I don't (laughs) think I saw a cause of death, but um, I I think he was early 60s. Maybe he wasn't especially old.
4: I think he was about 66.
5: Okay, maybe mid-60s then, but not, not, not elderly by any stretch. Not at all. That show was magic, and he was so good on it and was so funny. Everybody, every character on that, on that program was hysterical. Well, he's one of those, he just had that comic sense where he could just be there and you'd
1: be laughing. Yeah, and you it, know? It,
4: was, it was cancer as well. So, oh, so both Michael and, and uh, Peter both passed from cancer. Basically, I think they were both fighting it for the same amount of time. They've been fighting it for two years. So, and and he was open about it. He was very open about it.
1: Yeah, unlike Norm, who kept everything quiet. And yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. David. Oh wow.
4: Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, James. James uh, came out last June or July and talked about. I actually remember that.
1: Oh
2: wow. Where he
4: came out, he's like, "Yeah, I have cancer. I'm fighting it." You know, but Hmm. anyway. So let's uh. Let's get back to happy fun times with Jim Croce. Yeah,
5: yeah boy, that's a, I was going to say, but we went ahead and got all the sad stuff out of the way. Cause I'm not sure we're, this is just going to be mirth and sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and puppies for the rest the, of the, time. uh, the laugh a minute, uh,
1: comically charmed life of Jim Croce. As we get back to it, um, guy who never had anything wrong, just a life unfolded for him like a flower. Mm. That was sarcasm of course. Um, And so, dear listeners, we bring you back to the story of Jim Croce, part five, the fifth and final act of our tale. And like many great stories, we are going to begin at the end. September 21st, 1973, 4.35 a.m. Pacific time. Ingrid and her son, AJ, are asleep in their San Diego home when the phone rings. She immediately wakes up, grabs the phone, She thought at first it was Jim and actually answered, saying, Jim? But it wasn't. It was her stepmother on her father's side. Ingrid, it's mom. Are you all right? Yeah, why? What's the matter? I was watching the Today Show and there was a terrible plane crash. And Jim's dead, right? Those are Ingrid's exact words. And please note that was not a question. Ingrid knew Jim was dead. Jeez. And in later interviews ingrid felt that she had always known now if we go back two years ago jim and ingrid would host a number of types at their farmhouse we discussed that mostly artistic musicians and whatnot and one time they invited a psychic named dan to come over and give them sort of an astrology reading and a psychic sort of you know fortune telling this is what he came back with and remember at this time ingrid is still pregnant with aj The first thing he told them was that they were going to have a son and their son would have a strange birthmark. And if you remember last week, Adrian James was born with a blue birthmark on his buttocks. Next, Dan said that Adrian would be very rich one day. And we'll elaborate on that as we go further into the episode. The last thing he said was that Adrian would only have one parent by the time he was two. Oh, wow. Now, yeah, this is the psychic reading. Now, Jim Who is made, that psychic? because uh, His name was Dan. They don't really go into detail. Jeez. Yeah. Now, at the time, Jim made a joke. He was like, well, I better get my act together or Ing's going to throw me out. But obviously, there's a more ominous meaning to that reading. Uh, Ingrid said that she'd always felt her time with Jim was going to be very short. She always felt it was going to be limited. The night Jim passed away, she had a dream that she could see his face. She was operating a pottery wheel that was just spinning out of control. And while this is going on, a record of Jim's is playing in the background, just skipping over and over and over again. And that's what she was dreaming before she got this phone call at 4.30 in the morning.
4: That's not creepy at all.
1: No, it's extremely eerie. So we have a whole series of ill omens here that predicted Jim's passing. So how did it happen? So now we're going to look at this trail of grim events that orchestrated the loss of one of the greatest musicians of the 20th century, Jim Joseph Croce. Here's how it happened. Let's go back to spring, ladies and gentlemen. Spring, 1973, a simpler time. Across the pond, the newest album was being engineered. It was called Messin', and it was going to be released in June for Manfred Mann's
2: Earth Band. <laughs>
5: ladies and gentlemen, our federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference to the podcast has now been satisfied.
1: Well, wow. done. well done, That's indeed. Very nice. And I had to- So you know,
5: satisfied.
1: Given where this episode goes, I had to get that one in early because yeah, we need a little yeah. good
5: quality. Yes, little a little palate cleanser. Thank little
1: you. Palate cleanser, yes. A little sorbet before the entree. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim's albums, by the way, the ones he released are now selling in the millions. They're at gold status. In May, Charlie Fox asked Jim to do a theme song for the show with Jeff Bridges, The Last American Hero. We're going to come back to that it's, song. It's-
4: Which is not the greatest American hero. Yes, which is a mistake that
1: I had made. I was like, Jim Croce sang the theme song, No, he didn't. It was last American hero. Jim was also doing the circuit of talk shows appearing on Johnny Carson and Dick Cavett. And you can see those interviews on YouTube. They're highly entertaining. Now we know Jim was pushed to the limit. And last week we talked about some of the things he was doing to supplement his lack of sleep, the touring schedule. He was just put through the ringer. And of course, at the end of last week, we learned that he finally lost his voice and couldn't even talk. So, What would you do if you lost your voice? Well, the clear answer is go to Key West and buy a guitar from Jimmy Buffett, because why wouldn't you? And that's what Jim Croce did. He went down to Key West. He stayed with some friends, bought a guitar off of Jimmy, and the entire transaction took place on notebook pads. Jim wrote everything. Uh, Once he got his voice back, Jim returned to California, where he was playing a number of shows on the West Coast. He played the famous Troubadour, which we know. The Santa Monica Civic Center. Which,
4: that's closed now. Did, did it close down?
1: I think it reopened. It was closed for the pandemic.
4: Oh, I thought it, like, yeah. shut down.
1: Uh, no, I think it's, I, I hope it's back. Uh, but very famous musical venue on Santa Monica Boulevard. Which is
4: one of the few yeah. that I actually haven't
1: been to. It's a great space. It's very intimate. Yeah? Yeah. So Jim was in residence in California for almost a month, and he was really starting to like it. He made a lot of friends while he was there, including famed singer Harry Nilsson.
4: Which is, fun fact, can I give a fun fact? Fun fact! Fun fact! That's my alarm every morning now, is uh, gotta get up. Mm-hmm. Because, number one, he had, like, the cursed apartment and... Where everybody died. <laughs> where, like, yeah. Mama Cass passed away uh, and... Jimmy Hendrix. Jimmy Hendrix. Yeah. Uh, no,
1: no. Yeah, was he had Jimmy, a place in was London. It Jimmy it was it Jimi Hendrix
4: he- or was it... A- jim Uh,
1: morrison i mean it was jim morrison i think it was one of those two he he keeps
4: coming up Mm -hmm. like harry is one of those people that just keeps coming up
1: He was very pervasive in the music scene
4: at that time yeah of course no one forgot to get up but it's also like such a catchy song and it's a great way to wake up in the morning so
1: yeah so he was one jim actually connected with along with david mason who was a trumpet player from britain leon russell who you all know. Yep. I work with the great, the great Leon Russell. Yep. Dylan Stones. I mean, the list goes on and on. And of course, someone Lindley has met, comedian and actor, Cheech Marin. Yes. Yep.
4: That's that's one of those weird celebrity things where I actually got to sit down and talk with him about art because he's an he's actually a huge purveyor of art in Los Angeles. Weed. And weed. And we, and yes. Funny enough, not not, not entirely. That's not his bag anymore. That's more. That's more. Yeah, that's more. That's more
5: Tommy's bag. That's Tommy. more Tommy. Yeah.
4: That's more Tommy. Which, by the way, I randomly get emails from Tommy Chong. I don't think it's actually Tommy Chong, but it's like, have you checked out my new strand? And I'm like, <laughs> why are you emailing me?
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting that you mentioned Cheech and his art because that's actually one of the things he and Jim would bond over. Jim would go back to his place and they talk about art and all this stuff until like four o'clock in the morning. And yeah, they'd smoke weed. Um, I'll give you now a, a grim fact.
3: Grim
5: fact. There it is.
1: Of all those people I just mentioned, Harry Nilsson, David Mason, Leon Russell, Jim Croce, and Cheech Marin, Cheech is the only one we have left. Oh my gosh. All those people are gone.
4: Somebody wrap Cheech in a,
1: some bubble wrap or something. <laughs> yeah, keep that guy around, man uh cheech had actually met jim and maury at the troubadour he said he really liked their music they invited him back to his place they talked about art they played music and they'd hang out till the sun came up and actually they were very good friends so jim was friends with cheech for the rest of his life oh, Wow! wow so now we get to a stickier subject and that's jim's marriage and TJ, you and I in the episode last week kind of dissected this and what Jim was going through. Suffice to say, it is largely believed he was not entirely faithful to his wife, Ingrid. We don't right. Like that here. Right. There's a few cases that were brought up even before he started touring. In fact, when they were at the farmhouse, one of Maury's girlfriends named Lindsay was actually seen around Jim. She was giving him a massage, and apparently, she told Jim that he. She loved him, which caused a rift between him and Maury. Uh, Also, there was a time when they were in San Diego at a restaurant and Jim was talking up the waitress and said, hey, you know, what are you what are you doing later? And she's like, oh, you know, I'll meet you, whatever. And she leaves and Maury's like, what are you you doing? And Jim's response was apparently no, no, no. She's there. I'm here. Referring to Ingrid. Huh?
4: No, no, no. See, if I ever see another woman giving you a massage, I'm breaking both her hands and your neck.
1: That's fair. unless it's like a professional i go to a place and pay somebody yeah
4: or i just call my brother and tell him what you did
1: that's fair i would yeah (laughs) i'm see i'm not i'm not gonna do that so we don't (laughs) know about any of these things um (laughs) also when jim was home he would often go out a lot he wasn't home a whole lot he would he had a good friend in melvin goldfield they go out drinking stay out till dawn um and another case uh, there was actually a time when maury came to jim's hotel room one morning on tour and he just said he this is his quote he said I don't know how you do this to Ingrid. I can't do it to Carol. Hmm. So, but the most condemning, and I think LD, you, you obviously don't like the subject matter, but there was a very love actually moment where Jim comes home.
4: Is there a necklace?
1: There is a necklace, oh. yes. Oh. In a box was a gold necklace among Jim's things. And Ingrid's like, oh. And Jim quickly stops and goes, yeah, that's an S for you. It it wasn't an s for you a surprise remember they referred to surprises as S's. Oh, yeah okay uh,
4: clearly like it had the letter s and i was like no that's s for ingrid
1: but uh <laughs> ingrid clearly yeah i know right it's silent <laughs> um so needless to say the, the cat's kind of out of the bag and that does bring us to our first song ladies gentlemen tj you and i talked about this one it is a jim croce classic and sort of a tone setter for his final album i got a name we're starting off with Lover's Cross.
0: You said it was bound to happen It's just a matter of time Now I've come to my decision And it's one of the painful kind Cause now it seems that you wanted a martyr The regular guy wouldn't do But baby I can't hang on no lover's cross for you You really gotta hand it to you Cause girl you really tried But for every time that we spent laughing There were two times that I cried you were trying to make me your martyr and that's one thing I just couldn't do cause baby I can't hang upon no lover's cross for you These tables are meant for turning and people are bound to change and bridges are meant for burning when the people and men the same Still I hope that you can find another who can take what I could not It'll Have to be a super guy or maybe a super god Cause I never was much of a martyr before And I ain't about to start nothing new Baby, I can't hang for no lover's cross for you
2: These
0: tables are meant for turning And people are bound to change And bridges are meant for burning When the people and memories, they join all the same But I hope that you Find another who can take what I could not You have to be a super guy Or maybe a super god Cause I never was much of a martyr before And I ain't about to start nothing new and Baby, I can't hang for no lovers cross for you
1: that is lovers cross first released on the i got a name album from 1973 that was really pretty it is but the subject matter is very dark yeah don't like if you question. hear the lyrics um tj which i'm sure
5: you've investigated those correct yes uh, uh yes i was gonna say yeah that's funny to hear ldc uh Yeah, you know, it was really pretty because because basically singing oh yes i boned the waitress yeah, pretty much. Um, and and
1: many believe that this album is sort of a confessional album for Jim. Obviously, it's released after his death, but a lot of it's kind of a confession and apology to Ingrid. And if you listen to all the songs straight through, it really holds up in that regard. Mm. So it's it's yeah. very interesting. So as I mentioned before, Jim's kind of on tour. He's back home, he's on tour, he's back home. He booked some good gigs, American Bandstand midnight special rock concert helen ready so no slouch names there by june of 1973 the single for bad bad leroy brown had sold over 500,000 copies jeez you don't mess around with jim went gold also over 500,000 copies and jim still broke 200 Ugh. yeah and they, they do something later that you're gonna hate even more but we'll, we'll get there time there'll be time to bash the record label later uh jim at this point was also nudging people to book him on tv shows he really liked being in california he really liked appearing on the shows and actually he was talking to cheech to kind of get him into movies and cheech was like yeah you'd be great you know you'd be a great actor and jim was a natural performer so it might have worked now i do have a retraction ladies and gentlemen
4: retraction
1: Aww. if you remember two episodes ago we recounted jim's hilarious car woes remember the number that i pit that i put out there was 10 cars that year when jim appeared on carson he actually said the number of cars he went through was 13 oh wow in 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 less than a year he went through 13
5: vehicles so literally one every four weeks pretty much that's
4: that's that's basically my brother
5: he's just turned him up no your brother hasn't had
1: nearly that many cars
5: oh
4: t how many cars have you had in my
5: lifetime oh like a lot but not in a year
4: there was a yeah. there was a time where you wouldn't stop hitting deer.
5: Yeah, I hit lots of deer. I legit had a pair of underpants sucked into my engine once that I still don't want to really talk too much about that. Um, <laughs> We're that
1: off the table. Yeah. Um, uh,
5: I was driving down. Uh, I was driving down the highway once, and an entire wheel came off. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. And passed me and <laughs> rode, went down. Passed me, continued to go down the road, hit a curb, jumped uh a, like a bridge gate went rolled along a creek bed down a hill and hit someone's house wow with me chasing after it because you know once what's the whole wheel comes off your car pretty much just stops. <laughs> yeah that'll do it yeah
4: oh my god
1: well i think if you look at the numbers if you combine any two of us that's still fewer cars than jim croce had in that one year yeah sure. yeah which is really funny Uh, So things are about to come to a head on the home front for the Crochis. He comes back from break. Ingrid is seven months pregnant and she basically lays it out. She's like, look, I know you're screwing around. This tour schedule is crazy. We don't have any money. This has to change. Like if this doesn't change, she says she's going to leave. So she's like, I'm out. She actually calls Jim's booking agency, uh, ABC Dunhill who's promoting it. And she used these words, which are now quite ominous. If you don't get him off the road soon, you will have one less artist to promote. Huh. Really eerie.
4: Now that's prior to him writing that letter. Oh yeah, the
1: letter comes later, yes. Okay. Yeah, the letter comes later. So in the end, he talks to ABC Dunhill, Ingrid talks to them, and they agree, we're gonna do this last tour, okay? Jim missed the shows, as we mentioned, because of his voice. So we have these shows in California, we've got a tour of Europe, We'll make up the ones we lost in Texas and Louisiana, and that's it. You're done. So okay. Now at this point, Jim's rate to book him was about ten thousand a night, which is almost sixty today, but his salary didn't change.
4: That is such. Yeah. You know what? We have a. We gave a warning at the beginning of the series. That is such
1: horseshit.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And, and with the that's label, all, that's, that's like, that's artistic slavery is, is basically what you're you're bordering on oh, yeah, or indentured yeah. sir, or indentured servitude. Yeah,
1: I think that's a very nice way to put it. But the fact is he would play these smaller venues that he missed for the original rate they booked him for.
4: I mean, but that's fair. Yeah. That's, that's good business. Right.
1: That's but fair business. it doesn't offset the fact that he's paid more for the bigger venues and not seeing that. That still is Yeah, ridiculous. no, that's, that's poor shit. So Jim makes sort of a last ditch effort to save his marriage. Cause Ingrid's got one foot out the door. She's like, you know, uh, we're about to have another baby. This isn't working. So he actually says, Hey, let's move to California. I, I want to be in San Diego. And Jim for the first time sort of, you know, sacks up and goes to the label. They go out to San Diego. Apparently they did this all in a weekend. They contacted a realtor said we need houses that are ready to sell. now. He contacts Tommy in New York and says, Tommy, I know you owe me money. Wire me payment to down to put a down payment on a house. Tommy agrees. And so the Crochies purchase their San Diego home in Point Loma, which for those of you who know San Diego geography is on that little peninsula that comes out on the western side of the city and it comes down to Coronado Island. It's really beautiful, great restaurants, cliffs, and the famous Point Loma lighthouse. Is,
4: is that where the, the the hotel is?
1: I believe it is in Point Loma. That yeah. is such
4: mm-hmm. okay, number one. That is a beautiful area. Number two, there's a road, I think. And correct me if I'm wrong, if we have listeners in San Diego. But I think that road that you go, I think it's the Hotel Coronado. Mm-hmm. Um, if you turn right, you can see the hotel on your left. If you go straight, you're in like Mexico. Like you've crossed into like.
1: Yeah, you, you can take the freeway down over the border. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah.
4: Always kind of had a panic attack when I was driving down there because I'm like, I don't have a passport.
1: Well, they probably let you turn around, but yeah, yeah, but but it's the border. And yeah, no, you're obviously right. It's right there.
4: Yeah. Hey, Will, I hate to interrupt, but we do need to take a short sponsor break.
1: And we're back. Thanks, LD. Now let's get back to the story of Jim Croce. So on August 1st, 1973, Jim flies out to San Diego to close on the house. He goes from San Diego to LAX to fly out on his tour. So who's left with the move? Ingrid and A.J. Croce. And she's pregnant. And she's pregnant, yeah, seven months. Then her water broke. Yeah. So Ingrid is actually rushed to the hospital in Bryn Mawr by their neighbors. They call Jim. Now, Jim is in Amsterdam, so he flew from L.A. to Europe. He's on tour. She's like, Jim, you got to come back. you got to come back. I'm in labor. And Jim apparently tells her, I can't leave this tour. Ingrid is in labor for eight hours. After eight hours, Maxwell James Croce is born and passes away almost immediately. Oh no, why? Complications. He was born early. There were a ton of issues.
4: Now, that I know that stress on a woman, both physically and mentally, can exacerbate issues with pregnancy. So...
1: Yeah, that so, is so incredibly sad. Yeah, so the Crochis actually lose their second child right after birth. Yeah. Not point, Jim knows things have to change because Ingrid is ready. She's almost gone at this point. And, and being there alone, holding her stillborn baby with her husband across the ocean is just, it's unbearable. Jeez. And so Jim always said it best in song. This is part of his redemption trail. This one actually also comes from uh actually no this one is from i want to say
4: it's from i got a name
1: i think it's from i got a name but it may have been on an earlier album so i will research that but i do want to share the song with you it's one of my all-time favorite jim croce songs it's it's the first step jim took to apologize and it is i'll have to say i love you in a song
0: It's kind of late. I hope I didn't wake you. But what I've got to say can't wait. I know you'd understand. Every time I tried to tell you, the words just came out wrong. So I have to say, I love you. time I'm near
1: I'll have to say, I love you in a song. Also, from I Got a Name, 1973. I mean,
4: it's really pretty, but you know, if you weren't a dick, you wouldn't have to write it.
1: Yeah, his behavior at this point is highly questionable. Dude could write a song, though. We can admit, we can agree yeah. on that. You know?
5: Oh yeah. He sure could. Um, and I would never excuse any of the things that we're talking about him doing. Um, but they, I want to—I want to think one of the things that perhaps pushed it is they've he's had a rough life man like a really rough life and the time he's had of it in the years of his you know adulthood as he's tried to pursue his dream have just been brutal yeah and i mean he's getting absolutely royally boned by his record company financially you he probably feels like he's beating his head against a wall in terms of Actually, trying to get any kind of acclaim or success or attention, which it's it's finally starting to come at at the, the time frame we're at now, but do almost just feel like that's like the only perk. I, yeah. Again, n- would never excuse that right. under any circumstances. I'm just saying though, you're out on the road, you're eating a uh, you know treat on saltine crackers you bought from a gas station. You I mean you're you're driving yourself from show to show, you're not sleeping, you're not making any money. Eh.
1: Yeah, it's it's just and, and if you think about everything leading up to that, too. Their marriage was always troubled in some way. I mean, look at his parents, they opposed everything. His right. marriage, his career. Just, oh, and well
4: then finally, yeah. like you think that there's a breakthrough with him and his father, and then he dies, and his mom's like, I hate you, you killed your dad.
1: Yeah, you're responsible for this. It's just uh. Well, this is where Jim begins the long climb back to redemption. He comes back to the U.S. immediately. Basically, he calls a record label. is like, my baby son is dead. I'm going home. Like, that's the end of it. He goes straight to the hospital in Bryn Mawr, and he actually arranges for everything they own to be shipped to San Diego. So he just has it shipped. Don't know how much that cost. Don't know if Tommy fronted the money, but he did. Um, They gave him some downtime to grieve, obviously. And they said that We'll pick up when you're ready. We'll record your third album, and then we'll pick up this tour. And again, that'll be it, final tour. So that album, I Got a Name, would be Jim's final album for ABC Dunhill and the last of his career. So by late August, Jim and Maury head to New York to record I Got a Name. And actually, this is one of the albums that has one of the only songs that was co-written by another artist, and that was actually Maury Mule Uh, he co-wrote Salon and Saloon, ah, one of the tracks on there. By December 14th, so they're recording for about maybe three weeks, give or take, Jim goes back to San Diego for his family before departing on his final tour. That night, he and Ingrid actually walk through the city of San Diego. They go through the famed Gaslamp Quarter, which some of you who know San Diego know that's kind of the downtown area. And At that point, it was not the place he wanted to be. It's schmancy now. Oh, it's very schmancy now. But it used to, it got the name the gas lamp Quarter because they would have gas lamps in front of the brothels. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like
4: that was information that was in my brain that you just <laughs> resurrected.
1: Quite possibly. And at this point in the 70s, it's not a good area. They walk downtown to the corner of 5th Avenue and F Street, which actually today is just north of where Petco Park for the Padres is in downtown San Diego. Huh. They see a giant closed building and they talk about how great it would be to open a restaurant there. And Jim says, you know, think of it, Ang. We could bring all our friends to play music. It sure looks like San Diego could use some good food and good music. At, back at the house, he's looking at the pictures. Again, that famous one of him holding the little Cigarello with the mustache and everything. And Jim takes one look at the photo and he goes, I look old. I mean, I'm only 30. And let's be honest, it's we were talking, it's a hard 30. That's you yeah. can see all 30 on his face. You can see 30 and 30 more, I would think. I and, mean,
4: but like he's had a rough life. He's earned every one of those lines. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of, a lot in those 30 years. Yeah. And again, he says they spend one last night together and he said, Eng, this is it. After this, I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm coming home. He leaves for his final tour on September 16th, 1973. Four days later, Jim Croce would touch down in Natchitoches, Louisiana, to make up for the gig that he lost earlier that year. And just, just so you know, that's the, I had to read how to pronounce, look up <laughs> how to pronounce that. Just try that one, LD.
4: No, that's that, yeah. well, you know, that's my
1: homestead. Right. So. But the, the spelling of Nakatish is quite difficult to, to navigate. Uh, so, those of you who are playing along with the home game here, Nakatish is actually in the northern part of Louisiana. It's near Shreveport, and the famed Northwestern State University is there. When they land, Doug Nichols, who is the vice chairman of the big name entertainment company, that's the one that ABC actually used to book Jim and all his engagements, met them personally at the airport, picks them up. He would be the first person to see Jim in Nakatish and the last person to see him alive. On that day, September 20th, Jim touched down with Maury Mulehuizen, Ken Cortez, Dennis Rast, George Stevens, who was actually a comedian who opened for them and pilot Bob Elliott. They went straight from the airport to the auditorium at Northwestern State University. This show was largely considered one of Jim's finest. He actually did a double encore and the last song he played before he left the stage was Time in a Bottle. There were 2000 attendants, not a single person was sitting down by the end of the show. Everyone was on their feet. At that moment, Ken Cortez, who is actually Jim's agent with the label, Approaches Jim to say that they've decided to cancel his break. They've actually booked him all the way through November.
4: Dude, you
1: yeah. know. Which, bear in mind, this is now the 20th of September. His son's birthday is just over a week away.
5: What a bunch of shit weasels these people yeah. are. And Jim lets
1: him have it.
4: Oh, no. He
1: said, I got to get back for my kid's second birthday. They're like, we booked these gigs. Jim basically says, I'm out. I'm done. He places a phone call to Ingrid right away. He tells her that he's got three more shows and he will be home for his son's birthday. At the very end of this call, he actually stops and says, Ing, and she says, what, Jim? uh, AJ's running all over the place. I got to go. And he says, I love you. And that froze Ingrid because he never said anything like that. She said, I love you too. We'll talk later. And she hung up the phone. Mm. After that call, Jim sat down and wrote this letter to Ingrid, which I will read in its entirety. Dear Ingrid, I know I haven't been very nice to you for some time, but I thought it might be of some comfort sweet thing to understand that you haven't been the only recipient of JC's manipulations. But since you can't hear me, and since you can't see me, I can't bullshit. Use my sneaky logic and facial movements. I have to write it all down instead, which is lots more permanent. So it can be reread instead of remembered. So it's really right on the line. I know that you see me for what I am, or should I say, as who I are, because I've been lots of people. If Medusa had personalities or attitudes instead of snakes for her features, her name would have been Jim Croce. But that's unfair to you, and it's unhealthy for me. And I now want to be the oldest man around, a man with a face full of wrinkles and lots of wisdom. So this is a birth note, baby. And when I get back, everything will be different. We're going to have a life together, Ing. I promise. I'm going to concentrate on my health. I'm going to become a public hermit. I'm going to get my master's degree. I'm going to write short stories and movie scripts. Who knows? I may even get a tan. Mm-hmm. Give a kiss to my little man and tell him daddy loves him. Remember, it's the first 60 years that count and I've got 30 more to go. I love you, Jim.
5: Oh, man.
1: Jim pens the letter and sends it from Nocatee, Louisiana. He leaves the auditorium at Northwestern State University and goes back to the airfield, which is just south of where he played. This broke my heart. If you look at the next chain of events that brings him to that flight, you can't help but stop and just scream, if one thing changed, if one thing was different, Jim Croce might be alive today. So it's very much like a seconds from disaster. So let's look back at exactly how Jim got to that plane on September 20th, 1973. First of all, we mentioned that the gig was rescheduled. Jim was supposed to do it in the spring. It got moved to September 20th. The next gig they were supposed to play was actually the next day in Austin. Now, Doug Nichols actually put him up for the night. He booked rooms for him at the Revere Inn Motel. But after everything that happened, Jim says, forget it. We're leaving, we're going to Austin tonight. His pilot, Bob Elliott, was actually asleep at the hotel. He gets a call at 9.50 p.m. to say, we're leaving, get here in 10 minutes. Now, if you'll remember, when they first arrived in Nakatish, they were shuttled by Doug Nichols. So Bob throws himself together, he runs out of the hotel, he goes, where can I get a cab? You can't in Nakatish. At this point, there are no cabs. So Bob has to run. From the hotel to the airport, which he doesn't know the path, so he's stopping as he goes and asking local police how he gets to the airport. And of course, they're asking, "Who are you? Why do you need to go to the airport?" Another thing about Bob is Bob was not in the best of health. Bob had actually had a heart attack five months earlier, oh, wow. and he had to be cleared to fly again. <laughs> and here he is before a flight, running in circles, talking to cops and making his way to the airfield. Another thing about the Nakatish Regional Airport is that it's what's called an uncontrolled field. There's no tower. The airport is overseen by an operator who basically comes in, does his gig, and leaves at like 6 o'clock. So if you want to fly in or out, you don't have a tower to communicate.
4: That seems irresponsible. Highly
1: dangerous, yes. You're relying on sight, manual navigation, and knowing the airstrip, which we're going to learn is short. At 10.20 p.m., Bob Elliott, Maury Muehlheisen, Ken Cortez, Dennis Rast, George Stevens, and Jim Croce board a D-18 twin-engine Beechcraft bound for Austin, Texas. Bob finally arrives with a whole parade of police behind him, which is one kind of funny image because he's running to get to the plane, and the police are kind of following him to make sure he is what he says he is. Needless to say, Jim had some things in his suitcase. Medicine, I'm doing the quotes. Huh that he wasn't wild about the cops being around for So he said, okay, look, when Bob gets here, just get him in the plane. We're, We're getting out of here. So Bob jumps in the cockpit, fires up the plane. They start to take off. They start slow. They start to climb, but it's not quite enough. During the climb, it's actually thought that due to the autopsy that Bob had some kind of heart infraction or even may have had a heart attack while the plane was lifting off. The field was poorly lit. The plane didn't climb. And it essentially hit the top of the trees like when you throw a rocket, it skips on the water. Mm. It goes up, hits the trees on top, skips, and goes headlong into another tree. The wing blows off. The plane skips again, hits the ground, and just blows to pieces. Bob Elliott, Maury Muehlheisen, Ken Cortez, Dennis Rast, George Stevens and Jim Croce were all killed on impact.
4: This is my nightmare.
1: Jim was 30 years old. The youngest casualty on the plane was Maury, who was 24. Jeez. All dead. Oh, yeah.
4: you, guys, <sighs> you guys have to know this is like, this is my nightmare. Can you, can like, for just you know, for one second, what happened to me when I was awake during the last flight we took? Oh, you've lost your mind. I'm not even joking, I had a full blown panic attack because I'm so scared to fly that I just I have to be heavily medicated and I have to be asleep before we take off. But because of like a seating error, I couldn't fall asleep. And so I was awake during takeoff and I had a full blown panic attack. This is one of the reasons why I have panic attacks is literally anything can happen. And my brother has been on like two airplanes. <laughs> Because he feels the same way I
5: do. I've been on three. Uh, nine. be fair. In 14 years. And the last time I was on a plane was for my honeymoon. And when we flew back from Jamaica, we went to the Jamaican bobsled cafe <laughs> in the, in the airport. And I drank 12 red stripes. As you should. Before yeah. I got, bef- before getting on the plane, I had to, I, I might be worse than, LD in in so much in that she will at least get on a plane and I will not. Right. Well, we we got her there. It took a while. Yeah. yeah.
4: But like, but but we found a way. Is that's that I have to have a window seat because I have to be able to look out. But I also have to be asleep by the time we take off, or I have a panic attack. And I'm talking about like full blown panic attacks to the point where like I feel like I'm going to lose bodily fluids. Yeah. Like well I'm shaking. I'm shaking to the point where like my muscle contractions were hurting i was sweating crying screaming and so finally the um the flight crew came over and and got me into a different seat. yeah they receded us they receded us because i i was having such a panic attack it was like bothering other people yeah. so like well hearing this i it- don't really
5: have i don't actually have a problem with flying it's uh you know to quote the, the late great louis Grizzard, flying doesn't bother me at all it's the crashing and dying part that concerns me yeah
4: yeah 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 so this story is my literal nightmare and it is so incredibly sad that so many of them lost their lives and the youngest being 24
1: yeah maury oh my god yeah jim was only 30 i mean yeah and they all died there were no survivors of this plane wreck crash Jesus. the reactions to jim's passing were widespread varied and there was a lot of denial One of the first people that got the call was actually Doug Nichols because he was on the ground in Nakatish. And he just kept saying, he he can't be dead. I just put him on the plane. He can't be dead. I just put him on the plane. The next day, Cheech Marin was scheduled to perform in LA. Just before he took the stage, a stagehand pulled him aside and said, hey man, you hear Jim Croce passed away? And Cheech was like, what? The applause starts for him to take the stage. And Cheech, he talks about this in Behind the Music and it's so compelling. He just says, I'm going to leave this here for now. He goes out on stage. He does his whole show. Show ends applause. Cheech walks back to the same moment. And suddenly he just stops and said, Jim's gone. Arlo Guthrie, Don McLean, as you know, we're both friends of Jim's were absolutely devastated, but of course, the worst of it was with Ingrid who had to,
4: can I, can I, uh, yeah, sorry. Can I interject? Yeah. It's interesting that him and Don McLean were so close because Don McLean did the day the music died, which was about Buddy Holly, mm-hmm. the Big Bopper, Ritchie Valens, and it, it was it was about which we covered in our day the music died, but that was about a plane crash.
5: About a plane crash, and it could very well have contained uh, Waylon Jennings.
4: Yes, but we we covered all that. But yeah. so so yeah. you know it's it was Ritchie Valens, it was buddy holly it was the big bopper it was you know and and
5: yes his his most yes his most famous song essentially commemorates a plane crash the the victims of one
1: yep and if you want to know something that makes it even more eerie one of the songs jim played as a cover and allegedly played at his final show was la bamba oh you're kidding me nope he played la bamba
4: oh my god yeah
1: But it was Ingrid Croce who had to look her not yet two-year-old son in the eyes and say, a plane crash took Daddy away. He won't be coming home anymore. Jesus. That was September 20th, 1973. We lost Jim Croce. On Monday the 24th, Ingrid laid her husband to rest in a Jewish cemetery at Hirevern Solomon Memorial Park in Fraser, Pennsylvania. The rabbi who oversaw Jim's conversion to Judaism oversaw the ceremony. And when asked for words, he said, he always had a heart full of love. The funeral was attended by Jim's brother, Rich, along with his good friend, Sal, George Spillane, their neighbor and among, among others who attended and paid respects. Jay Lasker, who was the president of ABC Dunhill actually said the following words. Some people reach out and feel nothing. Jim reached out and in some way touched everyone. Some talk of love and goodness as if it remains alone, as if they alone remain its custodian. Jim gave his love and goodness as if it belonged to everyone. We are all now losers for not being able to spend more time with Jim Croce. And four days after that, AJ turned two. He even hugged his mother, who was crying, and said, don't cry, mommy. Don't cry. They were completely alone.
4: That's... The same thing happened to our mother, correct T. The what? The same thing happened to our mother. Her father I mean, died on her birthday.
5: Her sixteenth birthday. Or, uh, yeah, we're right yeah, or right right around it. You're right. Yeah.
4: because so, I mean like her on her sixteenth birthday, she got the news that our grandfather died of a heart attack. Jeez. So she lost her dad on her sixteenth birthday, which was, by the way, three days after Christmas.
1: Yeah, I know. Oh so that's terrible.
4: So I mean it's You know we we didn't get to experience that but our mom yeah our mom did and then like that's always you always spend that time when something happens like that on your birthday and it's like a celebration like oh you're still here but you remember that that loss that's that's such that's such a horrible thing to like there are people that don't celebrate their birthdays because of specific things that happen
1: i think we need a song break folks um I opted for this one because it sort of summarizes the the feeling of what's going on and how they're left with just these bits and pieces. And the song I chose to take this little break is actually from the You Don't Mess Around with Jim album, 1972. This is Photographs and Memories.
0: Photographs and memories Christmas cards you sent to me All that I have, are these, to remember you Memories that come at night Take me to another time Back to a happier day When I called you mine But we sure had a good time When we started way back when Morning walks and bedroom talks, oh, how I love you then. Summer skies and lullabies, nights we couldn't say goodbye. And of all of the things that we knew, not a dream survived. And memories, all the love you gave to me, somehow it just can't be true. It's all I've left of you. But we sure had a good time when we started way back when morning walks and bedroom talks. Oh, how I loved
1: you then. Alright, so Jim dies at the age of 30. He's just coming into the sort of, you know, musical success. And he's totally broke. The record companies you mentioned before had really done something insidious to keep him on a treadmill. What I mean by that is they would pay him more for certain gigs and be like, Oh, well, you got to fly there. So pay for the flight. Oh, you got to pay for this. So he'd really end up just getting nowhere. Uh, Ingrid actually said that while he was on tour, Jim actually had one pair of jeans and two t-shirts. Seriously? Yep. And now here's Ingrid. She's a widow. She's got a two-year-old son living in a house that Jim purchased with borrowed money. So situation's not looking too good. Immediately following Jim's death, Ingrid was actually approached by one of the A&R men at ABC Dunhill. He and Jim were very close, and they had often planned about getting away to Costa Rica. In fact, Jim would often joke, well, if you can't find me, I'll be in Costa Rica. So they sort of built up this getaway to go there, but unfortunately, Jim never lived to see it. So this guy, Corb Donahue, approaches Ingrid and says, hey, look, maybe you need to just get out of here for a while. You know, take some time, bring AJ, just escape, get away from this. And she's like, yes. So she takes AJ, they go down to Costa Rica and sort of regroup. And coming back from that, Ingrid decided she was going to do two things. She was going to give back and she was going to take back.
2: And the last is
1: for Jim's music. So Ingrid gets back to San Diego. The first thing she does is charter a Head Start program in conjunction with Costa Rica and establishes a children's school in Point Loma. She even wrote some children's books. Oh my
4: God, why am I getting Eliza?
1: And I think that's going to be the big reveal here, is there's a Hamilton-esque twist where I think you realize quickly, this is actually Ingrid's story. Yeah, so by December of 1973, I Got a Name is finally released. It's released after Jim passes. The posthumous album actually reaches number two in U.S. and Canada. The title track, I've Got a Name, was Jim's only hit that he didn't write. Wow. It was, again, composed for the show. Charlie Fox wrote it.
4: Because he wrote all of them in, like, one sitting. Yep. (laughs) At his kitchen table. At his kitchen table.
1: And of all the singles, the one that went certified gold and number one was, I'll Have to Say I Love You in a Song. Hit number one. Now Ingrid was going to go after Cashman, Pastille, and West because, in her words, she said, I had to do something. She knew this deal wasn't right. She knew that Jim was owed money, and she knew that that catalog belonged to them. It started a long legal battle, Croce versus Kernett, which lasted 11 years. Good job for not giving 11 years. Now, the music was just a piece of it. There was also a wrongful death suit. An attorney um, partnership based in Dallas, I believe, Corby and Demetrio, actually filed this case with Ingrid, and it was on behalf of Ken Cortez, who was killed in the plane crash. The case actually goes to federal court in Dallas, and the jury turns a verdict in favor of Croce and Cortez which means they received more than just the life insurance money they got from those two deaths. Mm -hmm. The odd thing, though, is Jim's and Ken's were settled in court. The cases for Maury, George, Dennis, and Bob were all settled out of court.
4: Interesting.
1: Yeah, very strange. And I actually looked up, like, court transcripts, and I don't speak legally, so I got a little lost in it, I'll admit. Ingrid spent the next few years raising her son— she was the acting vice consul for costa rica for the city of san diego so she's going back and forth she was continuing again a more than a decade-long legal battle for jim's royalties and she actually made sure aj got his rite of passage trip to israel so he could be officially recognized in jewish faith and also this is a fun fact, fun fact. yeah we kind of need one allegedly ingrid became a runner And in 1983, she finished the Stockholm Marathon in three hours and 37 minutes.
4: That's faster than what you did. (gasps)
1: Yeah, she killed my time. Absolutely. (laughs) By 1984, the New York court finally reached a conclusion in Croce versus Kernett. They appointed Ingrid, the heir of the estate, to James Joseph Croce. Yay! She was awarded 50% of the income from Jim's music, which had been withheld and 50 percent ownership of the catalog so now she's getting it back but she's unfortunately not immune to misfortune as seems to be the case with the crow if you remember ingrid you heard her sing on the early recordings right and i don't know if some of our listeners have taken the initiative to watch maybe tj you've seen like the behind the music and whatnot
5: yes yes i have
1: if you hear ingrid speak it's very different and now you're going to know why. In 1984, now remember, Ingrid did some singing as well. and She actually went on tour for a bit. She actually started getting damage to her vocal cords. When they went into the surgery, they found tumors on her vocal cords.
4: Oh, no. They
1: removed them, but if, it cost her her ability to sing. So mm-hmm. if you hear her, she has a very kind of raspy, throaty voice, which she lost her singing voice. So once again, Ingrid's feeling pretty down about life. She's home. She's not sure <laughs> what to do. She actually actually invites a friend over. She's like, I can't sing anymore. I'm fighting these lawyers. You know, all this is going to hell in a handcart. And she makes some food while her friend is there. And her friend goes, you know what you need to do? You need to open a restaurant. And she goes, well, that sounds great. But, you know, where am I going to do it? She goes, I know a place. Her friend takes her to the storefront at Fifth Avenue and F Street.
4: Is that the same place? The
1: same place place? where she and Jim were talking about opening a place. It was available. Still? at that time yep ingrid buys it she turns it into a bakery and a cafe and she actually starts running a catering kitchen and runs into a problem people smell the food she's cooking come over go uh can i buy that and they just want to eat it right then and there so she figures well i need a restaurant she sets up some tables and then charters a restaurant space and then she expands and in four years croce's bar and grill is opened in san diego So we're gonna change it up into a little lighthearted tune here. This is actually one I really enjoy off of I Got a Name to commemorate the occasion of Croce's Here is from Jim Croce, Top Hat Bar and Grill.
2: This is a song I've been thinking about for a long time and just got it finished about about a week ago. It's kinda like one of those places that I was talking about before after working in it for a long time, those roadhouse gin mill kind of places that you see in movies more than you see in real life anymore. But they're real congregation places for characters. And I wrote a song about one of these bars, the kind of place I was working in, called the Top Hat Bar and Grill. And that's his old, funky Tim's back.
4: like it's yeah it's it goes back to the first episode when we mm-hmm. were listening to the 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 first stuff he did and that's just awesome
1: well the fact about that one i chose that because that was actually recorded on september 20th in knockadosh louisiana oh wow and that was from, that's from the final show yep so, Jim Oche opened Croce's Jazz Bar next door to the restaurant, which hosted live music. It was a tribute to her husband, and Ingrid said, a way to recreate the warmth and ambiance of our early days entertaining together in the 60s. So, she was sort of bringing that farmhouse back in Lindell to San Diego. At her peak, Ingrid owned and operated three bars, two restaurants. And Book Musical Act. She had five places running concurrently. And I guarantee you she paid those
4: musicians a fair wage.
1: (laughs) I would bet, yes. Still, the Crochies are known for, for nothing else, hardship. On March 17th, 1987, Ingrid and AJ's home burns to the ground in a freak accident. It's dubbed a freak accident. I don't know more than that. The day before, Ingrid actually emptied all of Jim's memorabilia out of the house. What? Yep. She took out his journals, his early recordings, even his baby shoes the day before the house burned down. What? Wow. I know. Isn't that crazy? Why would, why, how? What she just you... cleaned it out and then the house burned down. Where'd she put it all? Like, why would I mean, she, some of it was in the restaurants actually for the memorabilia. Okay. Some of it was kept like in an office, but she just cleaned it all out and the day, next day, the house gone.
4: Oh my God.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Weird. But it wasn't a lost year. Ingrid Croce because in 1987 she also met a young man named Jimmy Rock. Rock she described as a former musician and lawyer both of which Ingrid said I had to forgive him for. (laughs) But she must have because in 1988 they were engaged. Ingrid would remarry and is still with Jimmy to this day. In fact Jimmy is the co-author on Ingrid's definitive masterpiece I Got a Name. The book that I used as the cornerstone of my research for this project. I and read a number. I of bought it. You did, yes. Yeah. So I think one <laughs> of the cats did. Technically, right? Technically, I think yeah. the cats did. I got a name. Was actually published in 2012. The first draft came out in 1991. From there, Ingrid was constantly butting heads with publishers because the publishers would go over and go, "We want a rock and roll memoir," and Ingrid's like, "No, that's not the story I want to tell." So she waits until 2012 to finally publish the book. Quote? she's just a badass i, know she's I awesome. love
4: her and she stands <laughs> like she's a rock yeah and i and oh my god ingrid you are a
1: badass
5: um well li- literally she's a rock since that's her new husband's last night
1: hey oh lay sigh <laughs> uh ingrid actually said I've <laughs> <owned them. laughs> Wow.
4: Ingrid, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. For yes, the we're
1: sorry for this behavior. Yes. Um, she said, I always wanted to write a book about Jim, but I never thought it would take me 39 years, but here we are. She wrote another book, which you like the name of, Time in a Bottle, T-H-Y-M-E.
4: Ha, is it a cooking It book? is a
1: cooking book and a memoir. came out in 1996.
4: That's, that is hilarious. Aha. I know.
1: If you can't guess, Ingrid <laughs> was a member of the California Restaurant Association in the 80s. She remained <clears throat> active for decades, actually pioneering san diego's famous restaurant week which actually continues to this day in 2012 ingrid croce was inducted to the san diego women's hall of fame and she is still with us at the age of 74 oh she's i still love around. her yeah, i she's love awesome. her let's talk about aj for a moment when last we left him he was comforting his mother at the age of two because his father had passed away fortunately the psychic was right about a few things aj proved to be very talented like his dad he actually took a piano and a guitar at age four he lost his sight completely what he went totally blind what? yes now there are divided sources on this so i'm going to be careful about how i phrase this because some say that he was actually abused by a boyfriend that ingrid had at the time other sources have said it was some kind of medical thing, like at the back of his eye that he needed surgery for. Okay. I don't know the right answer. I will say that very clearly. However, all we do know is Adrian lost his sight. But interesting, at even that so, age- So
4: basically, what you're saying is yeah. there are sources that are conflicting- Correct. And you, does she not mention it in her book? She doesn't
1: mention it in the book. Okay, so yeah. again, all that's alleged. Yes. We don't know the answer. We don't know the right answer. Okay. What we do know is he lost his sight. Which he gets back, by the way. He used that though as inspiration because Adrian started playing piano at a very young age. And when he lost his sight, instead of getting really down about it, he was like, Well, I like Stevie Wonder and right? Ray Charles. They play piano, so I can play piano.
4: <laughs> so he
1: kind of did that unfortunately he regains his sight, he gets some medical treatment and whatnot. Um, and then of course at age 16, his home burns down in a fire. Jesus so there's that. <laughs> Um, Adrian's first paid musical gig was actually for a bar mitzvah he booked in San Diego. He was 12 years old.
4: This is awesome. I know
1: when he started getting paid for playing music. He was a fixture at Croche's, no shock there. And then he actually gained notoriety, played other venues. He is apparently extremely good at the piano and highly proficient on guitar, so he plays two instruments. Uh, since then, Adrian has released 10 albums under his name. What? In fact, another is due to release this year in 2021. He married and had two children, Camille and Elijah. However, his wife passed away in 2018 due to a rare heart condition. So he is a single father with the two children. He still works in the music business. He actually founded his own record label called Seedling Records. Along with that, he co-manages Crocey Music Group with his mother, of course. He produces albums, his own and others. Across the span of AJ's career, he has performed alongside musical acts like Dave Matthews, Rod Stewart, willie nelson aretha franklin elvis costello tom waits and he even played with his childhood hero
5: ray charles
4: that is awesome
5: everyone's oh, so yeah so in, anybody i've heard of or? yeah sorry that's all i got I mean, a bunch of uh, guys, okay. sorry uh,
4: maybe later yeah. in life he'll, i'm
5: sure go. they're talented people i just i'm not familiar with any of them. yeah just no
1: notoriety at all yeah um and occasionally <laughs> aj will play songs that his father wrote he actually does time in a bottle Periodically, which remember was written for him by his dad 50 years ago. AJ yeah. was born on September 28th, 1971. Aww. In 1989, the three of them, Ingrid, Jimmy, and AJ, actually took a trip to Natchitoches. They went to the airfield to get closure. The trees around the runway were actually all cut down. They cut down all the pecan trees there. And there is a memorial to Jim, which is still there to this day. Yeah. It's a reminder that Jim's legacy did live on. His music is still played to this day in TVs, movies, commercials, and it's still timely. You hear the lyrics and they're still relevant, even now when we're approaching the 50th anniversary of Jim's passing. Think about that. We're, we're 48 years right now. Oh my gosh. I know. He influences so many people. I mean, we just talked about a few Don McLean being a big one, Bonnie Raitt, James Taylor, Arlo Guthrie, and even the great Jimmy Buffett has said, quote, if it wasn't for Jim Croce, I would have never picked up a guitar.
4: I want to go just watch every movie with a song for him so so mm-hmm. Ingrid gets more money.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm a-okay <laughs> giving much- her money. Is, she is awesome.
4: Like, no, seriously, yeah. she has that Eliza Hamilton yeah. thing where, yeah, she had the tragedy, but her life continues. And, you know, she's like, I stop wasting time on tears and mm-hmm. I live another 50 years
1: and it's not enough. And she's still going. Oh,
4: I'm not going yeah. to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to
2: cry.
1: And that, my dear listeners, is the story of Jim Croce. So thanks for coming on that ride with me. We're going to wrap up with a fun little top five I thought would be a great way to close out the series. And, of course, the Hallmark final song, which we will share with you in a minute. But what a life. Wow. What a story. Yeah. Um,
5: I have a, I had a, uh, something i thought about today as i listened to our last episode. Um, having listened now to his entire life story, which you, you presented extremely well, a, excellent job. Um, listen to the life story, listen to, uh, uh, you know, more of his music in a short period of time than I have in a really long time.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: I don't think that Jim was actually a rock artist. I think Jim was a country artist. Yeah. Well, as we said, he was mistaken for a Southerner for most of his life. I think, yeah. I think Jim was a country slash folk artist if you listen to the listen to the early stuff that you you, you played mm-hmm. there was there was i know there was some banjo and i want to say maybe there was some steel maybe a little fiddle yeah. too yeah there was mm-hmm. um which are all you know classic bluegrass country instruments but if you think about the way he approached songwriting it's very similar to somebody like john prine who, yeah. you know he worked you know john prine was a mailman um after he'd been done a brief stint in the military jim did a a very brief stint in the military but he did working class jobs but he observed the people and the situations around him and he either literally wrote those down or he filed them away and he ended up writing these stories about these people a lot of them working class people very similar to somebody like john prime Mm -hmm. Um, but that's much more a hallmark of country and folk artists than it would be of rock artists and then just you listen to the sound of his voice and it was less noticeable in the maybe the last episode or two but especially on some of the early ones you played it sounded a little twangy if you told me he was from kentucky or something i probably would have believed you. (laughs) he's from pennsylvania he's from pennsylvania and um but there was something about the 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 tone of his voice there's something about his guitar picking style that has a lot of country rock flourishes to it.
1: Well, I think that's largely credited also to Maury Muleheisen, you know, who
5: I think was an
1: unsung hero of his work. I mean, all that guitar work, that's Maury, you know?
5: Right. He died at 24 years old. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, but if you if you go back to the where he found inspirations for songs that a lot of them dealt with working class, you know, hard working people that there were country, traditional country instruments in a lot of his early work that mm-hmm. there was a little twang in his voice and that a lot of the guitar stylings of the stuff that we played particularly in the last episode there was something that struck me about it I'm like that that this, that's a very country picking style that I'm hearing. So to me you know, he's always sort of labeled as a rock or folk rock artist. I kind of think that's a mislabeling of him. I really do. I think that's fair. And again, you look at his contemporary James Taylor,
1: I think those overlap almost perfectly with that style of guitar that you're talking about.
5: Sure, sure. And you could you could you know, he's J T is sort of acknowledged as being kind of a country rock guy. But And he's released albums that are straight country.
1: They go right door. Sure. Sure. Oh, oh,
5: sure. They, they, yeah, sure, they sure have. And, but, and, but they have a lot of similarities in that way, actually. Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. So before we do our top and five...
5: And, okay. and one last thing. I'm glad that he got... I know he didn't get the financial remuneration he deserved in his lifetime. I'm glad that Ingrid fought for it and kicked the record company's ass and got what she deserved exactly. uh, for, she, for she and her child. I'm glad that Jim got to see some success that he got to see his songs do well that his albums were charting that he was drawing bigger crowds because he worked so damn hard and he was so talented and you just as you're sitting there laying the story out you're like god when is the break coming when's something good gonna happen yeah and not much did really but i'm glad that he knew before he left that people loved what he was doing then he was reaching and touching people because He didn't get a lot of the other rewards that he should have gotten financially in particular so i'm i'm glad that by the end of that he got to see big crowds of people singing along with the songs and enjoying it he got to see his name at the top of the billboard chart and stuff to know that his work was appreciated he at least got that
1: right and 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 to this day it's appreciated like i said it's still relevant the music is still being played which i'm sure you know In- Ingrid wow. talks about this in her book. You know, she hears the songs and she just smiles. She knows that, you know, he's, he's still there, you know, um, he's kept up 50 years, almost 50 years after his passing, which is incredible. Uh, LD, any thoughts before we do our top fives?
4: No, I'm going to cry. Okay.
1: <laughs> so I, I figured I end had a light top five. We'll do our socials and I'll close out with the final song here. I just asked my two co-hosts here to list their top five Jim Croce songs and they can be in no particular order. And Again, this was a tough list for me because I know this episode was a long time coming and the series was uh, a bit uh, stretched out because this was a very tough one for me. Jim is one of my favorite artists. And, you know, there's these moments when you realize that your heroes bleed, you know, that they're not perfect. They're not immortal. They have all these problems. And, you know, in learning that, you sort of look at them in a different way. And then, you know, LD is the term that I'm going to borrow is you live with these artists. You know, I spent the last, oh, geez, few months just immersed in this world of what Jim went through and you know relating to that pain that he went through and, and hearing his songs and just it just it, it was a lot for me and uh Jim is one of my favorite artists always will be and uh it was it was an honor to cover his material and I just hope I did it justice that's all I can say mm-hmm. so how about some top five folks um who would like to start i think i'll go last close out the series okay um TJ, would you like to kick us off, top
5: five? Uh, sure, uh, sure, sure. I'll go first. Um, not one that we played in this episode and probably maybe a little bit of a left field uh, pick for me on uh, my number five. I'm going to go with uh, Working at the Car Wash Blues.
1: <laughs> Great song. Oh, really, really did, good.
5: Yeah, I, I, That's a terrific song. I really like that one. Uh, number four, it should probably be higher, but when you're trying to rank his songs, you can understand that, when you put something at number four, you're that's, that's quite an honor actually. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so for number four, I actually have, you don't mess around with Jim. Classic. Um, and you and I discussed it in the last episode. Will, if you can listen to that song and when it's over, tell me you didn't like it. You weren't <laughs> singing along. You didn't, you weren't tapping your foot. You're full of shit. You're a liar. You're lying. You're a, to lying, you're a lying liar. Who lies.
1: You're lying to yourself and everyone
5: around you. I hope you're happy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You are promulgating a a fraud upon humanity. <laughs> uh, that's the way I look at it. That's just undeniably catchy, sing-alongy. It's, it's just it's just a great fun song. I don't know how you can't like it. Uh, number three for me, I'm going to go with uh, one less foot. Uh, one less set of footsteps. Mm-hmm. A song that that's sort of a little more of a plucky, upbeat song than the. Subject matter is it that the the, the, to- the tone and the feel of the song belies what it's actually about,
1: right? Which is kind of different from Lover's Cross, which sort of steers into that,
5: yeah, right, uh, for sure. Uh, number two, these got really hard to rank, and the 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 coal pile is pretty big for the ones I'd <laughs> like to put on here. Uh, number two, I'm going to go with uh, I have to say I love you in a song, great one. Um, I know that um, LD. Essentially said, well, if you weren't a, you know, doo doo pod who didn't love Jesus, then you know you wouldn't have to write that song.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's an apology song, it is or whatever,
5: but it's it's an apology song, but it's it's but it's it's but it's a great one. Um, I I would I would bet most people would forgive anybody anything if that's how it was. Produced, I'm just gonna say. And number one for me is a song. It's probably, I'm sure it's the first Jim Croce song I heard. It's the one I've heard most in my life. It's one of the songs that LD and I actually would have heard even when we were young and our mom controlled the radio and we only heard like soul music and oldies. Uh, but it's a song I remember hearing when I was little and there was something about it that just, I gravitated to just because it's it, probably because it's a, a, another fun sort of uh sing along song and that's uh bad, badly Roy Brown. That's a good one. Nice. Good. List. Just, but partly because it's a great song, but then partly for, for, Sentimental reasons, just that—that's one I remember hearing, way, way, way back from the time I was a little tiny child.
1: Sure, mm-hmm. good one, good list, DJ. Yep. Nice, LD.
4: All right, you know what? I'm going to piggyback on him <laughs> and tell you that the first one on my list was "Bad, bad Roy Brown for the exact same reason. For number five? No, well, I don't. I didn't. I, the oh, only, there's no order. There's no order okay. to mine except for the number one spot. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, Bad Bad Lou Ray Brown, again, we used to have a station wagon and no seat belts, and that song would come on and both me and my brother would bop to that song. <laughs> yep. And I remember distinctly being like six and my favorite line was, he looked like a puzzle with a couple, couple of pieces. pieces gone. It's
1: so great. Yeah. And I
4: remember singing that. My mom looked at uh my dad and was like i don't know if she should hear this because that's murder and and i remember going mom i know about murder (laughs) 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 that tells you anything about the life but yeah that was that was one of those like sentimental songs where you know it's it's got to be on the list um my second one was one that i didn't know until this series which was balls to your partner that's fair because (laughs) it's like a six minute song and it's and it is salty and it's sussy and it's bowdy bowdy yes (laughs) i love it um and it's an earworm it is absolute earworm Mm -hmm. um another one that i had was walking back to georgia good one it is a
1: beautiful song and it's again it's an apology song it's also a double meaning because he's talking about a person and the state yes. so it's done very well yeah yes
4: but uh then there's one that's kind of tied to my first choice because when i heard it i i automatically equated it with not only jim Kershaw but the other song which was these dreams
1: that is a great song
4: and it's oh. a gorgeous gut-wrenching song but it sounds like my sort of like my number one song Which of course is time in a bottle. Yeah. And I think that I would be bemissed, bemused, bad, remissed, remissed, bemissed. (laughs) Uh Sierra (laughs) (laughs)
5: missed. Kiss is on my list.
4: Right. (laughs) Sierra Nevada. What? Um you guys, there is a great use of time in a bottle in X-Men.
1: Which, which it's d- Days of
4: Future Past. X Men: Days of Future Past. It is flawless. It is seriously one of the best, not just scenes in an X Men movie, but it's one of the best scenes in a film. Purely, and I remember yeah. we were in the theater mm-hmm. watching it, and I am losing my mind. We may have to watch it because sometime. yeah, it's it's so <laughs> it is so so good. It's the character of Quicksilver. And he puts his headphones on, and he does. He runs around the room, and you guys know Quicksilver has super speed. So they actually shot it how Quicksilver sees the world when he's running. And the only complaint that Jeremy from Cinemasin said was that they wish that they had had the balls to play the song at one seventh the speed, <laughs> or like one eighth the speed, or whatever speed that Quicksilver's going if they had slowed it down to play that, that is one of the best uses of songs in films ever. It's, so, it's flawless. So, it's amazing. Yeah, like that's so, but time in a bottle is if you've listened to it, there's so many layers to it and it's so beautiful and it's so sad. And it's just, it's, it's worthy of the number one spot for me. It's and that's the awesome. only one that has a number that the only one that I numbered was. Number one. That's clear. Number one.
1: Yeah, right. number one. Uh, shall we do socials, and I'll do my list?
4: Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's do socials. Sure.
2: I'll
4: I'll do it because, boy, howdy, you guys are not good at it. No, no. <laughs> so,
5: uh, are you? I'm okay. What? I'm sorry. Are you alleging that my efforts last week were subpar?
4: <laughs> you know, you tried. You tried to. I touched
5: things. all the bases. I said, uh, we don't have a website that we're going to promote. You can. Sit send us money on TikTok, and we're on face space and digi friends and i think we have a myspace page check out our store, ladies and gentlemen
4: are <laughs> right, we have a tumblr um actually
5: and only fans
4: <laughs> nobody wants to see that. Yeah, no want that no one wants that um actually funny enough we are going to be starting a TikTok soon yes, so yes. as soon as we get that started we're gonna give you that. That'll get you know lodged in somewhere about there. But for right now, we just have our normal stuff. So if you want to support the show, you can do so at Patreon.com/backslash Rock and Roll Heaven. We want to actually thank our patreons uh, for their donations. You guys are amazing, and uh, we are going to be restructuring again the Patreon uh, very soon to include some really interesting stuff. uh So as soon that, as we will get it, moving, hey, will
5: that, will that actually include mine and Will's names? Because those I don't think it, they're on there. My- <laughs>
4: Uh yeah well again I actually have to like go to Patreon and do stuff.
1: <laughs> what about the giggling hillbilly? <laughs> <is>
4: the giggling hillbilly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but actually we're gonna be you know doing something with the Patreon, not just having it sit there, which is kind of what it does, and that's not what we wanted to do. So as soon as me and Will the Thrill actually move across the country, there will be an all new Patreon. So you can again find that at Patreon.com/backslash Rock and Roll Heaven. You can find us on Twitter at Rock and Roll LT. Our Instagram is Rock and Roll Heaven LT. You can find us on Facebook at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Uh, actually, uh, that's a great place to hang out with us. Uh, we have a lot of spirited conversations, funny memes, and all kinds of really cool stuff that's happening over there, which is also happening on Instagram as well. And I'm still not saying our website, and you can email us, rock and rollheavenlt at gmail.com. And please make sure to check out all of the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. See Very that's nice. how that's how you do it, kids. Very nice. That's how you do it. So.
5: <laughs> do we have a a Do we have a snap tack or? A...
4: Uh, <laughs> oh boy! Wow, it's I'm sorry, guys. My brother's like almost fifty. He's getting to be almost fifty. He's on his way to being fifty. Just so you know, and his birthday's coming up. That is
5: years away. Years.
4: <laughs> You're
5: a prick. <laughs>
4: You, you can almost get social security. <laughs> anyway. Yeah.
5: Um,
4: just a, a note about next week, because we will be starting our series on Michael Jackson in two weeks. Yeah, We are going to be releasing a show on Halloween, but it's going to be one of our slat Nuts episodes. Uh, I just need a little bit of extra time to prep for our Michael Jackson, because I don't know if you guys know this or not, but he had kind of a busy life, basically from birth, and so these episodes are going to be super dense. And so uh, we will have that slot Nuts episode out on the thirty first on Halloween to spookify and we for our listening experience. That,
5: that's great. We we anticipate finishing the Michael Jackson series sometime in twenty twenty seven. I mean, we're going from Jim
1: Croce, who had five albums in his entire life, to Michael Jackson, who had like five albums in a year. I mean, yeah, it's going to be I, quite a change. It's going to be.
4: It's gonna be really, really heavy and really, really dense and probably really, really long. And I'm, you know what? I would say I'm sorry, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not because every person deserves their story to be told, and that's what we do here, kids. So, uh, so like I said, uh, check out the episode on the 31st, and then we will see you in two weeks' time with the beginning of Michael Jackson. So I'm gonna actually turn it back over to Will. I want to thank you guys so much for checking this episode out. Again, we'll see you soon. I love you all. Thank you all for your you know, awesome messages. And I am feeling so much better. And I just, I love you guys so much. So thank you. And good night. Uh, TJ, would you like to say anything to our audience?
5: Yeah, bite me.
4: <laughs> see, that's what happens when you get old. You just get grumpy. <laughs>
5: right. uh, go eat some soup. Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'll have
5: mashed peas all right well, well, well i'm going Go t- eat some soup from that place again
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: all right let's I close love- it out with my top five
1: from jim croce which very similar to the dreaded wilburys list travis is adopted the <laughs> dreaded wilburys uh incident as we'll call it uh if you ask me tomorrow i'll probably have a different top five i feel pretty good about we, one.
5: we tried to sell we tried to sell ld to gypsies they gave her back <laughs> they were like nah it's because yeah. my fashion
4: uh, sense was too sexy
5: nah, but- Okay. no we're now y'all can actually have this one back we're, we're, good. Thanks, we're good. It's, it's good we're good this is all good yeah but, but we'll repave your driveway on the way out <laughs> it's the least we can do
1: <sighs> so my top five ladies and gentlemen in descending order i do have walking back to georgia again great song off the you don't mess around with jim album i also included the closing track on that album from Ryan number four hey tomorrow oh, okay. which was recorded originally and then re-recorded something just optimistic about it and that's sort of the pattern of jim's songs you have extreme optimism and then just i'm sorry uh and then it's kind of like my life is going nowhere so you have a bit of an extreme there number three is the classic which i think you had on your list ld i'll have to say i love you in a song if you're going to do an apology song that's that's how you do it
5: i did not have that oh, i thought you did, did maybe not. tj i think you had i did it. yes I, I had it on my list yeah
1: my number two is a classic that i come home after a bad day i put on this song and i feel a little better and that is tomorrow's gonna be a brighter day
4: just a heads up you guys um that is not a song that he will dance with me i know i dance with the cat he dances with the cat yep he picks up our cat veruca and dances with the cat
1: she doesn't object so so.
4: just so you guys know where our relationships at
1: (laughs) And my number one, I'm siding with LD on this one because I believe it's a musical, multi-layered masterpiece. Time in a Bottle just hits every single note. It's tragic. It's hopeful. It's eerie. It's light. It's it's just everything a song can be. It's a masterpiece. And again, if you say you don't like that song, you are a lying liar who lies to you and everyone around you. And I hope you feel terrible
4: balls to your partner. Yes.
1: That's a classic too. Um, and before we play our final song, ladies, and gentlemen, thank you again for coming with us on this journey of Jim Croce. It hasn't exactly been all laughs, but I hope we have honored the legacy of one of the most influential musicians. Again, he's been gone 50 years. His music is still relevant today. And it just gives you hope to think of all these great songs that are out there that have stood the test of time. They were written by a scared young man from Philadelphia in the middle of the night over his kitchen table because he knew he was going to be a father. There's something very inspiring about that. And if you ever look at your career and wondering, it's going nowhere, just Jim Croce. I mean, his entire life led up to a career that finally peaked, and then he passes away. Uh, So just know that uh, there is hope, ladies and gentlemen, take care of yourselves, be good to each other. And I will leave you with the final song. This is actually one of my favorites. I didn't include in the top five because Jim didn't write it. But its impact is undeniable. Let's close this one out with I got a name from the album of the same name 1973. Thank you, Jim Croce.
0: that he kept here Moving me down the highway Rolling me down the highway Moving ahead so I won't pass the Like a north wind whistling down the sky I've got a song I've got a song Like the will for will and the babies cry, I've got a song, I've got a song.